Greetings, friends and colleagues. Welcome to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, the professional educator's thought partner, a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. I am Scott Lee. I hope you are safe and well. Today, we talk about teacher advocacy with Sanford Johnson. Sanford has been the executive director of Teach Plus Mississippi since 2020. Mississippi Policy Fellows have been involved in increasing teacher pay, strengthening the state's teacher pipeline, and increasing access to mental health resources. Sanford also supports the work of Teach Plus Arkansas, which launched a policy fellowship and teacher network in 2021. Prior to joining Teach Plus, Sanford was the deputy director and co-founder of Mississippi First an education policy research and advocacy organization. He also served as a founding member of the Mississippi Sex Ed Training Cadre. Sanford serves on the board of Teen Health Mississippi, the Mississippi Alliance of Nonprofits and Philanthropy, and chairs the Clarksdale Municipal Elections Commission. We'll start our conversation discussing a unique YouTube video that he and some colleagues created. Welcome, Sanford Johnson, to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Scott. It's good to see you today. Good to see you, too. Tell us a little bit about your background in education and then how you came to your present role uh, at Teach Plus in Mississippi. Sure, sure. So um, I was born in the Mississippi Delta. I've been a Mississippi I'm definitely a child of uh, Mississippi, product of uh, public schools in Mississippi. My father was a uh, educator and I come from a long a family that's full of like uncles and aunts who were educators. Um, did not have any interest in going into education when I graduated from high school. In fact, I left uh, Starkville High School in 1998 thinking, well, I'm done with Mississippi. I'm going off and never to return except for like vacations and stuff like that. And ended up getting an opportunity to work in Mississippi the summer of 2002 and connected with a hometown friend of mine. I was, um, during that experience, I became all things Mississippi. Like, look, I, all these challenges that I heard about the state dealing with like dropouts, teen pregnancy, like our schools aren't good enough. The economy is, uh, not where it needs to be. And by the end of that summer, I was all about, okay, what can I do to help? Like I'm a Mississippian. I need to go back. Um, I originally thought that I wanted to go to Capitol Hill and uh, work with legislators on doing things to improve uh, education. I had a good friend of mine who told me about Teach for America, and that's actually what got me in the classroom initially. Got a job opportunity to go to Capitol Hill, turn it down to teach U.S. history at Cahoma County High School in Clarksdale, Mississippi. So I said, okay, well, I'll do that for two years, then I'll go off to law school, go to Capitol Hill, and uh, 18 years later, still in the Delta, still working in education. My wife was a core member who's now a school leader. And now we have, we bought a house in the Delta. Our kids are here in the Delta. So this is what really connected me with education. So I thought that it was like if somebody would go back to talk to me as an 18 year old and say, hey, you're going to live in the Delta. You're going to be working in education. I probably would have laughed in their face because I knew I was headed to the city. I was headed far away from here. And it's funny how life works out sometimes. Similar thing. I never thought I'd be back here in uh, in Chattanooga. I thought I was going to 
go to college, thought I was going to go to law school and end up in Atlanta, you know, and, and <laughs> so the initial plan was to be an architect. I was going to design sports stadiums. So I just knew that I was headed off in the next big ballpark or football <laughs> stadium. That's what I was going to get to do. And yeah, <laughs> like that, <laughs> teaching U.S. history in uh, Clarksdale and then working in education for several years, co-founding an education policy nonprofit, eventually making my way to Teach Plus. And, and it's funny because I'm doing work now that I don't even think I knew existed when I was in high school. So it's uh, it's funny how life works and you just end up on a path. We'll come back to some of the things that Teach Plus is doing right now. Sure. Um, in uh, in just a few minutes, I want to mention something else. The first place that our paths crossed, you have no idea about, because uh, about ten years ago, I saw a YouTube video that you posted called the sock activity, and I'll let you set up the sock activity in just a minute, and we'll put a, a link to this YouTube video on our website for our listeners to see. I think about the SOC activity, especially right now, with so many issues around censorship, particularly here in the South and in a lot of places uh, in the Midwest. There's a lot of calls, as you know, going on uh, for removing books from either uh, either as curriculum materials or uh, from school libraries. I think about that with a lot of concern. I'm wondering, first off, if you can tell us a little bit about the sock activity video and how that came about, and we can talk just a little bit about censorship as well. So start us off, frame us with the sock activity video. So there I was. <laughs> so this was 2012. Uh, we, um, this is when I was working at uh, Mississippi First. Uh, there was an education policy organization I co-founded. We were working with school districts around this new sex ed uh, policy. Um, we had worked out a deal with school districts where, look, you know, you get free curricula, you get free training, you get free technical assistance from the State Department of Health if you commit to doing a more comprehensive uh, version of sex ed. So it wasn't just abstinence only, but it talks about like, decision-making. It talked about like, you know, effective use of condoms. It talked about like all the things that you need in order to be healthy. So, the, the, and what the research shows is the correct way to do the holistic sex ed type of program, which is more than just sex ed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's about like how to set boundaries, how to communicate those boundaries, how to respect the boundaries, how to, how to be in a healthy relationship. So like, very much, much broader than what the state was originally doing. Uh, I have some stories about that later, but this was during a training and the law that was passed in Mississippi that required districts to do sex ed, like you had to adopt either an abstinence only or an abstinence plus policy. There were a lot of restrictions in that abstinence plus policy. And one of the restrictions was you cannot do any demonstrations or like, like any demonstrations about the use of condoms. So no mm -hmm. kind of demonstrations. During this training, uh, there was a uh, trainer that came from California and we were just giving the steps, like step-by-step, step, how do you use a condom? But she was someone who could not share the steps without pantomiming the steps. So, so <laughs> as she was doing that, like somebody from the Department of Health said, no, no, you can't do that because the state may say that's a condom demonstration. 
So she ended up like giving the steps with her hands behind her back. And we thought it was kind of ridiculous. So we just started making jokes about how ridiculous this is. Like, what can we do to make fun of this? The video that was created was really just a, really just a joke. Like, it was just, how do we make fun of this? Like, you know, like, right. this is like, could we do something like this? So I brought a, a pair of socks the next day. I got a good friend of mine who, um, who just pulled out her iPhone and we recorded it. And it was just something that I shared on Facebook just with a couple of friends that just making fun of the law. And we ended up putting it on YouTube and it just went viral. And I was about to it say, was, it, it, it's gotten like one and a half million views or something, maybe more. I, it, it seems like I, I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's been huge. So it, it has gone viral like once or twice. If I tried to do something like that, I don't think I could be successful. It's the, the <laughs> it's amazing like how little effort <laughs> created that video. Yeah, it was like the wildest thing that I've heard. Um, there was a teacher in uh, Malaysia who uh, sent me this random message out of nowhere. Just hey, I recreated the sock video. Is it okay if I use it? I was like, sure, <laughs> go ahead. There's no copyright on this. And, you know, it's been funny just uh, to see other teachers like come up with other examples. I remember there was this one video where somebody used an oven mitt, protect your hands by using an oven mitt every time. <laughs> and it, I think it really speaks to, and I think this is why it resonates so much. I think it really speaks to the resourcefulness of teachers and how teachers are always trying to find a way to get, like there are so many restrictions, but this is how we're going to get around this. If I'm not going to get our supplies and I'm give me some old magazines, give me some cardboard tubes, like I'll create it. If I cannot go to this particular, you know, field trip, I'm going to bring the speaker to me. Like I am right. going to get the information to my kids one way or the other. So, you know, like just, I think the resourcefulness of teachers is something that really stands out to me. You kind of walked right into, you know, the other issue and the issue of censorship, but also the issue of what do you do in an under-resourced classroom? I still remember early career social studies teacher asking everybody, do you have old national geographics or, you know, whatever, or going to the Goodwill store to find things like that to use in a classroom because the textbook just wasn't enough. Also, how this connects with censorship and the issues around censorship. Are there any thoughts that you have for teachers around censorship and how to you know, either how to work around it or like you have, use your creativity or are there more formal ways that we could be active um, as a profession to prevent censorship or mitigate censorship? So I feel like that's coming up a lot, especially when it comes down to how we discuss history and how we discuss race in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. And Coming from Mississippi, you can imagine that that comes up a whole lot. Sure. Um, there have been some interesting conversations that I've witnessed with teachers around uh, the story of Emmett Till. I don't know if you uh, saw uh, Woman of the Movement. So that was a series that came out that talked about Mamie Till Mobley and her son Emmett Till, who's, you know, like that's really sparked the civil rights mm -hmm. movement. Um, right. And it was interesting to hear from teachers how often they heard from students who did not know the story, who had never heard of Emmett Till before, who did not know not only about his murder, but the impact that his murder had on 
American history. And it was wild because so many of my teachers are from the Delta. So it, I live in Clarksdale. We're less, we're about 40 minutes away from where that story took place. And to have students who live in this community who don't know about the history that happened right in their backyard. And, you know, you can say the same thing about students who didn't know about Fannie Lou Hamer, students who didn't know about Aaron Henry. Um, there's so, students who had never heard of Freedom Summer before. Right. And just thinking about all the history that our students don't know about. And I think mm -hmm. teachers have a real great opportunity to be able to expose students to the history that took place in their backyard. And like the, the, the giants that came from this area, like you have mm -hmm. an obligation to share that information. In terms of, you know, indoctrination, I don't hear teachers talking about indoctrination. I hear teachers talk about how to make their students critical thinkers, like how to get them to really have a have an opinion about something, but to be able to back it up with facts, how to have conversations, have how to have disagreements, like cordial, constructive disagreements with their classmates, um, which is something that d adults should do a lot better job on. And also thinking about how to create affirming environments within their classrooms, making sure that all students feel welcome, feel cared for. That means whether you're a student of color, whether you are LGBTQ, TQ, like regardless, like the, like making sure that every person in the classroom feels like we want you here, we welcome you, we love you, and we're going to provide you with the education that you need. So that's that's what I hear teachers talking about. I don't hear teachers talk about like this student believes this and I disagree with it. So how do I get them to change their thinking or anything like that? Like how do I equip my students with the skills that they need in order to be like like well-adjusted adults who can sure. like engage in conversations that can have opinions that can participate in their society. Yeah. I do worry because you mentioned Emmett Till in, uh, in particular. One of the things that, that I have heard a teacher say recently is they would be concerned about Emmett Till discussing lynching and civil rights. Rosa Parks and the Birmingham bus boycott is okay, but I'm a little bit more concerned about issues that are focused more on violence and racially motivated violence. You know, here in Tennessee, there's you know, literally in the, in the law, when you're discussing issues of race, you potentially can't make a student feel uncomfortable. And the word uncomfortable is actually written in the law itself. And, you know, trying to define that it is an issue that I know I find concerning. And I hear a lot of people talking about, uh, about their concerns with that. And so glad to keep hearing voices that are saying, you know, we're not indoctrinating kids. <laughs> we're not trying to censor kids. I'm always, I'm interested in the word like uncomfortable because when lawmakers talk about students being uncomfortable, are they talking about all kids or are they only talking about white kids? I will say it is my opinion. I think it is directly an issue of race. And I think it is about making white students uncomfortable. And of course, no black legislator voted for the law in the first place. I, I had an experience when I was an eighth grade teacher. Um, I was able to create a civil rights tour. Uh, this is I was uh, teaching at a school in Arkansas. And um, each uh, grade did like an end of the year trip. So our trip was a civil rights tour of the South. So we went through Nashville and we got to meet uh, with people who participated in sit-ins. They were members of SNCC. We went through Atlanta. We went to the MLK Center. We went to, we went to Church of Ebenezer. 
actually heard Reverend Warnock and really? who knew, like, yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah. you know, heard him. We went to Morehouse. We went to Spelman. Uh, we went through Alabama. Uh, we also had this experience. We stayed at a hotel in Birmingham and there was a class, re- a 50 year class reunion that was taking place. And I just happened to connect with one of the people there and just saying, hey, I've got this group of eighth graders who are learning about the civil rights movement. So you, you got folks in that reunion who were there, who were in Birmingham, who knew the girls who were killed at 16th Street Baptist Church, who were able to come over and tell my, talk to the students about this is what it was like to be in Birmingham back then. The kind of information that you just can't get in a textbook. Right. And like that was, it was uncomfortable <laughs> to hear yeah. those stories. It was uncomfortable to hear those stories, but it's a part of our history. Um, Mm -hmm. I think when you're talking about U.S. history, I think you need to, like, you really can't tell the story about how far we've come as a country to, without really looking at where we started, all the different things that had to happen for us to get there. And then to think about all the uncomfortable things that we're going to have to do in the future. Like you have to, you have to tell the whole story, warts and all, like Mm -hmm. all the good, all the bad. I agree. My thought has always been that if you're not a little bit uncomfortable at some point during a history class, then as a teacher, I haven't been doing my job. You know, there's a reason why even, uh, you know, in the preamble to the constitution, they use the word a more perfect union. They understood there was still warts and all, there was still a long way to go. I often worry about every time we seem to take a step forward, we end up taking a couple of steps back in making sure we teach history to the fullest. Let's get back to Teach Plus, because I really want to make sure and share what all Teach Plus does. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the work of Teach Plus fellows and alumni, particularly what you all are doing in Mississippi. Sure, sure. So what really got me excited in the work that Teach Plus does, um, I had some opportunities like over the past decade in education policy to work with teachers and to get teachers involved in policymaking, whether it was working with a group of teachers to be able to share like their thoughts on implementing the new college and career ready standards or working with teachers with uh, creating these parent nights that took place around sex ed. In both of those instances, like the main takeaway for me was that people trust great teachers, like politicians trust great teachers, like like principals trust great teachers, parents trust great teachers. There were so many experiences where folks were concerned about what was happening in, in classrooms, but you have a teacher saying, this is what's happening. <laughs> I'll give you a great example. So there was legislation that would have gotten rid of the new Common Core college career ready standards. The one person, there was one teacher who I think was responsible for saving those standards in Mississippi. And she literally had a whiteboard in front of the legislature, in front of like these House and Senate Education Committee members and explaining, this is how we used to teach math. This is how we teach math now. <laughs> this is why we're changing this. Like, so going into detail, like literally working out math problems in front of legislators. And you can see legislators with papers turned around, like trying to do the math problems themselves. <laughs> and there was one, uh, there was one senator who said, I wish I would have learned math like this. It would have been better for me if I knew math this way. So at that moment, I thought it was interesting to see policymakers hear from a teacher saying, this is what I'm teaching your kids. 
this is this is how we're changing things. And we saw the exact same thing with sex ed, just here's what I'm going to be teaching your kids. We're going to teach them how to like <laughs> set boundaries and how to communicate those boundaries. So I was looking for so long, like how do I how do I find a role where I can have these opportunities all the time? And uh, that's exactly what Teach Plus has been able to do. We work with a group of about two dozen teachers and we give them uh, policy skills. So we give them research skills, advocacy skills. They learn how to communicate with policymakers. They learn how to reach out to their colleagues and get them involved in policymaking. And while we're doing that, we also give them opportunities to influence policy issues that are taking place right now. So we have a group that's working on teacher compensation. We have a group that's working on how do we recruit and retain teachers in Mississippi. We have a group that's looking at licensure and how do we better prepare teachers who are entering the profession. And then we also have a group that's focusing on the SEL needs of students, the mental health needs of students and teachers. So all these different groups, and some of these groups are working with legislators, maybe they're working with the districts, maybe they're even working with the State Department of Education, but they're all like super busy, they're learning these skills, and the whole idea is that you're doing all this work this year, and you're working to have an impact on policymaking this year, but we're hoping that you'll also continue these, continue to use these skills in the future, either at the state level or at the district level. What kinds of things are the group that's working on uh, teacher compensation doing and what kind of successes are they having so far? Sure, sure. You know, first and foremost, like the starting salary for Mississippi teachers right now is around Mm $37,000, which is among uh, the lowest starting salaries in the country. And a lot of teachers, from what we've heard, like a lot of teachers don't see education as a sustainable like career path anymore. We've heard from teachers who are saying like, I'm telling my kids to not go into education because if you want to have a good quality of life, like you're not going to get that as a teacher. And, you know, you always hear, you know, this comment about, you know, teachers going to the profession, not expecting to be rich. Right. But -hmm. teachers want to be able to teach and not have to do a second job. They want to be able to take care of their family. They want to be able to pay the bills. They want to be able to buy a house. They want to be able to afford health insurance. The fact of the matter is a lot of teachers do not feel like they can do that. So, Mm -hmm. They are leaving. They are leaving for other states that provide higher salaries. They're leaving for other professions that not only have higher salaries, but maybe a a lighter workload. So you're not Mm -hmm. working like all your evenings and all your weekends. So if we're going to hold on to teachers, if we're going to recruit more people to teach in Mississippi, we have to improve salaries. We have to improve benefits. So that's exactly what we're uh, working on right now. Part of, and there are a lot of great organizations that have been doing similar work in Mississippi, and I think that there is an opportunity for us to get something substantial out of the legislature this year. We surveyed teachers across the state to find out what would they prioritize. Uh, it came down to uh, teacher compensation, and you know we're still in the process of analyzing those results. We hope to have a, a policy brief released soon. But the big takeaway is that we're going to have to do something substantial when it comes down to increasing teacher salaries. Because if we don't do that, we're gonna lose a lot of teachers. Uh, they're gonna be folks who are gonna to continue to leave the profession. And then they're gonna be a lot of folks who are gonna to try to do everything else but teach um, right. because they're not gonna see teaching as a viable uh, right. pathway. When I was teaching every summer, I had a job. You know, I had a summer job, just just like when I was a student and uh, you know, in high school. Till I got into administration, it was the only time I could actually make enough money to give up my summer jobs. We have heard from so many teachers who 
are saying, look, I teach during the day and then I'm a bartender or I work mm-hmm. for DoorDash or I tutor extra kids. And then there are a lot of folks who say I went into administration, not necessarily because like that was what I wanted to do, but that was the only way to be able to get mm-hmm. a higher salary. Um, there are also a lot of teachers who say, look, I, I went back to grad school. I got a master's and that master's was incredibly expensive, but it was the only way to increase my salary, even though now, like a lot of my salary is going towards paying for that master's that I got right. in order to get the higher salary. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is, it is tough for teachers and they are, I think we're at a crisis right now. I feel like, you know, this was a challenge before the pandemic. And I think during the pandemic, it's only gotten worse. So I am really concerned about our ability to attract teachers and keep teachers if we don't do something substantial right now. Right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was nearing crisis before the pandemic. You're right. We've hit the iceberg now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So smack dab into it. (laughs) (laughs) The other big issue Teach Plus is working on right now amongst us four is SEL and mental health. Yes. Um, Yes. uh, Tell us about that. Since the start of the pandemic, we have heard from teachers on numerous occasions. So we did a big survey of teachers to find out what do you need during the pandemic? Like what would, what do you need in order to be able to continue teaching and serving kids during this time? Um, We also had focus groups around like the stimulus funding that was coming in, like what would teachers prioritize and spending those stimulus dollars at the state and at the district level. And every time we've reached out to teachers consistently, they have told us that mental health was something that they were really concerned about. They were concerned about the mental health of their students. Um, They knew that there were students at the very beginning of the pandemic, like students who needed services and they were not getting those services. They understand that students were dealing with isolation. They were, you know, dealing with the challenges of the pandemic, like the the pandemic, like like there were, there were students who lost family members. They had family members get sick. At the very beginning of the pandemic, we even had tornadoes to come through. So there were some students who were displaced from their homes at the very beginning of the pandemic. So they understood that when students eventually came back to school, they were going to be coming back with a lot. And we needed to be able to identify students who were dealing with mental health challenges and then connect them with whatever resources they need. We don't have those systems in place right now, at least not in like it's scattershot like it's too far few and far between so Mm -hmm. how do we work with districts to make sure that every school has a group of folks counselors teachers therapists like what do we need to make sure like so as soon as we identify a student who is dealing with a mental health challenge we can connect them with the services that they need we also need to be thoughtful about the mental health needs of teachers because teachers have also been going through the same pandemic they've been they've lost family members they have dealt with the sickness and they also need mental health resources as well so how do we give teachers greater access to services so a lot of the work we're doing right now is figuring out how to create those systems at the state level and at the district level to make sure that students and teachers get the mental health services that they need. And a huge issue. I mean, I, I keep thinking about part of the problem is helping students navigate accessing mental health services. I do some work right now with faculty of an alternative school, and I'm there fairly frequently, but not just to do workshops for professional learning. I'm there during school from time to time. I pass this therapist in the hall from time to time. But 
he just happens to have a large number of students that are in that school that are clients. So he sees them at the school to make it easier for them to keep appointments, which is mm. good. Yeah. But he is not available to any of the faculty uh, as far as even a consultant on mental health um, that's outside of his, his work. And he only sees about a third of the students based on insurance coverage. But it's so frustrating to see a therapist in a school, <laughs> see a mental health professional that yeah. is there on site and he can't even work with, he only works with some of the students. And it's a perfect example of what you were just explaining. That's, I think that's the biggest challenge that our teachers have observed is that in a lot of schools, like students who have a diagnosis or students had, who have experienced like a mental health crisis, like those are the students that we're identifying and we're not even identifying all those students right. in an adequate way. But how do we identify the student who had a rough weekend? And mm -hmm. or something like just had a death in the family or right. just dealt with something that may have an impact on them. Like, how are we checking on those students and how are we creating a school environment where a student knows that if I if I'm dealing with a mental health challenge, I know exactly who I need to go to. Like, I can go to this teacher and I know that this teacher is going to like talk to me without judgment and going to point me in the direction of the resources that I need. So that's what we're trying to create for all students in all districts in Mississippi. Oh, big job. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier a little bit about your work with the Common Core and doing some advocacy there. How well have uh, policymakers, uh, particularly elected officials, listened to the work that you're doing and what actions or how amenable to taking action have you found policymakers to be? So I would say in the last decade and a decade plus <laughs> that I've been involved in uh, education policy that when legislators, when policymakers have provided opportunities for like to bring in teachers and listen to teachers and find out like what teachers think about different policy issues, that those are usually very constructive conversations because like Teachers bring a level of expertise that a lot of other folks cannot because nobody can talk about how something is going to be implemented better than the folks who are actually in, on the ground in the classrooms implementing like, mm -hmm. the different policy decisions. So I think that's been helpful. I don't know if we do that enough. I don't know if we provide enough opportunities for teachers to like do hearings, like to speak before like our members of members of our legislature. Like they there should be teachers who are meeting with our education committees, our appropriations committees every year. We also need more of our elected officials and our policymakers to spend time in classrooms. So you know, find out, like look in the classroom, like when a teacher is telling you, like, I don't have this resource, I don't have that resource, they can tell you that, or you can go to the school and you can see it. Like you can go to Gentry and see the flooding. Like you can go to some other school in like Quitman County and you can see like, we need a new gym. We can go to Cahoma County. Like we don't have enough teachers here. So you need to go and like go to the communities, see the things for yourself, and then like listen to teachers and ask teachers, like, what do you need? Like, what do you need in order to meet the needs of the students? So I would love to see more of that. 
the as I said, like the times where we've had policymakers interact with teachers, those have been very constructive conversations, but we just don't do it enough. And when we and, and I think this is one of the things that really helps uh, Teach Plus stand out when our teachers go before policymakers. We, we try to do it in a very solutions-oriented sort of way. So our teachers will definitely talk about the problems, but they're also prepared to say, here's how I think we should solve the problem. Like, here are my recommendations. I've done the research. I think we should be doing this to solve this problem. And I think that's why our conversations tend to be very constructive because we'll definitely call out things that are not right, but then we'll, let's have a conversation about how we're going to fix this. And that's huge. I have myself been frequently <laughs> just complaining about this and this and that. And it's like, well, I need to be thinking about solutions. It's sometimes hard to, it's easy to get mad about something. It's not always easy to figure out, okay, what's the solution? And if this is my solution, what would be as close as I can get to it if that were to happen, you know, or be able to happen? It's been uh, it's been interesting to see the impact of the fellowship on teachers after they're done with the year, because, you know, our fellowship is only a year long. There are alumni opportunities, but like like the, the bulk of it is just that one year. Mm -hmm. um, I remember there was one teacher in particular. Uh, and, you know, when you're with a group of teachers, they're like they're going to definitely talk about the challenges that they're dealing with in their classroom. But there was one teacher in particular. There was a decision that was made at her school. And of course, there were some major concerns about it. So and this was like in the spring. And just to see the conversation go from like, this is what happened and I'm not happy about it. But here's what happened in my school. I have scheduled a meeting with the superintendent. We are meeting with the teachers and we're going to think about the agenda. These are the things that we want to talk about. And we're going to meet and have like these agenda items. This is going to be our ask at the end of the meeting. And this is like completely organic, like teachers deciding to do this. And I've seen teachers take on greater leadership roles, not necessarily going into administration, but just like, here's a project that I want to see in my school. Here's how I can make this happen. Here are the folks that I need to speak to in order to make that happen. So it has been fascinating to see teachers use the skills from the um, fellowship and to be able to apply them in so many different places. So I think that's the that's the thing that really stands out to me. It was funny, like seeing this conversation, I felt like my student, like back when my my 11th graders were doing something great in my U.S. history class, I look at them like, I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was a cool moment. That sounds like such interesting work. Best of luck uh, with your work and continued work in Mississippi. Um, and of course, Teach Plus is bigger than just Mississippi as well, I want to point out. Yeah, we're in, we're in 12 states. Uh, we also have a fellowship in Arkansas and Texas. Like we're all over the, we're all over the South. And uh, yeah, we're, I would love to see like Teach Plus have a presence throughout the SEC because I'm from the South. Like I would love mm -hmm. to see like, <laughs> like Teach Plus everywhere. So yeah, we're working on that part. Of it. It's exciting work and continued work. And, and I love the, the way you kind of, ended with it about, you know, the importance of the development of leadership at all levels, you know, because having been an administrator, I know when you're in a formal leadership, formal leadership position, it really is about when your school or your organization is successful, it's because enough people step up and are those informal leaders or what make right. it, what that that's what makes schools work and what makes effective schools become uh, stronger and problem-solving, data-driven organization. Exactly. 
Once again, Sanford Johnson, want to thank you for spending time with us today, sharing your work on the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. Well, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you so much. And uh, you got to come down to the Delta at some point. I I would love to when travel opens up again, which I hope will be soon. (laughs) Um, You all can joke around and say as soon as outside opens up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Once again, thank you and appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Scott. Appreciate it. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is brought to you as a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. If you would like to learn more about how we help schools and youth organizations embed social-emotional learning within their cultures and implement strength-based restorative interventions, please visit our website, www.oncoursesolutions.net. This has been Episode 3 of the Spring 2022 Season. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues about it, either in person or using social media. We also greatly appreciate positive reviews on the podcast app you use. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guests are never compensated for appearance, nor do guests pay to appear. Transcripts are available following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.